So now I teach discus throwing, javelin throwing, and all the rest that you are a you are a bag of rubber bands. Mm. And what we want to do for elite performance is get you into a place where at one moment we stretch all those rubber bands. And then the more important thing is we release it. Crappy throwers, crappy jumpers, crappy hurdlers try to add a little more when it's too late. That was Dan John, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Thanks for being here. Dan John is a man who needs very little introduction. He is a best-selling author in the field of strength training and fitness. He is a coach and athlete with decades of experience, and Dan is well-known for his ability to transfer complex material into actionable wisdom. Dan simplifies the process of performance, but reminds us that it might be simple, but it's not easy. And just that concept is one that's taken me uh, years, if not decades, to learn, and I'm still learning it. On the show today, Dan will be talking about some important concepts that any coach or athlete needs to routinely visit and revisit within their process, one of which will be the power of compression or the power of less, and how when we compress things, it will later expand. And we'll be talking about this on the level of track season and the weather in Utah, but also in the process of training itself, both on the level of exercise selection and then how we actually coach sports skills. Dan will also be talking about the nuts and bolts of three P's of muscle action, specifically that of snapacity or snapping plus capacity, and how that really represents the core function of explosive athleticism. This and much more on the show today. Again, it's always awesome talking with Dan, and I'm really happy he was able to make it again as a guest on this podcast. Let's get to episode 359. Dan, it's awesome to have you back on the show, man. Um, I know you were just at a track meet the other day, uh, coaching track again. Uh, what's been uh, What's been going on for track season? I'm always I'm always excited to catch up with you there. Okay, well, it's been brutal here in uh, the West, you know, because of the weather, the the snowstorms. So it was. It's just been weird because we haven't had any meets. I mean, we're under. I mean, there's been days you couldn't even pull out of your driveway, much less you know throw the discus. So, and in the last two weeks, all of a sudden, it's just. I mean, it feels like yesterday. So yesterday at this meet, it was it was hard summer weather. I mean, it was it was hot, and it's kind of nice because I think the compression of the season has actually helped. So we're having track meets on. Seems like saturday wednesday saturday wednesday so my my shot putter had a personal record javelin thrower had a personal record and we had a really nice day last weekend my discus thrower added uh 10 feet to her best uh won the conference my javelin thrower became uh is the top three thrower in the nation right now out of nowhere but it's nice we often say like like one of the things we talk about in, especially in catholic education about the uniforms we often say what what you compress expands. So when you tell an artist, okay, you gotta paint paint this war scene in an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper, and it has to share all the horrors of a, a, a bombing civilians, makes for you know Pablo Picasso, you know, runs and does you know something amazing with that. So what you compress expands. So. That's one of the lessons I've kind of learned. I, I, really, as a coach, it's a wonderful thing. You know, in the discus, we have we have a ring. You're bounded by the ring, and then you're bounded by the sector. What you compress expands, and I think that that's a there. That is probably one of the greatest truisms of my coaching career. If I go into your gym and eliminate five, six, nine tenths of the equipment, then I find out how good of a strength coach you are. If I say all you know, you got fifty-two boys to train. You got one barbell and uh, and four off-weight dumbbells. You got to coach them. Well, let's see how you do. You know, that's why I, I like track and field so much, and that's why I think most people hate it because it's like, you know, I hate to say it, the hundred meters pretty simple. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna say go, and then uh, whoever gets that line about a hundred meters from here wins. You know, and boy, I tell you. It's funny to watch how much parents push back on uh, on track and field. I've had parents say, well, what if Billy went to a camp? Well, no, he still wouldn't be any good uh, as a sprinter. He just, he, uh, no offense, mom and dad, but you're 
you're about 70% of the problem with his speed. Uh, <laughs> you know, your DNA isn't, isn't world-class DNA. So what you compress expands. And so what's nice about this harsh winter we had is it's been just a glorious couple of weeks. I wouldn't say it's been a great track season, but the last few weeks have been wonderful. And there's, there's so many life lessons in what I, I think what I just said and training lessons because we've been faced with a situation where, and by, and the NC2A decided to have these new rules about. So NC2A has done everything they can to destroy track and field. And now they've made it even harder. You have to have 14 athletes compete. And I don't remember the exact number of meets. So you have to have 14 female athletes compete in a number of meets to allow your one athlete going to nationals to compete at nationals. So they've ruined the scholarship structure. They made it a nightmare to run track meets, and now they make it even harder. So we are all the track coaches. Okay, here's your rule. And now we're having, so we're having these track meets all the time. And it's actually been glorious. Yesterday, the only event going on at the track at, at the end was the discus. And there was this massive crowd around the discus ring. Oh, it's always the best. Always the best. It was delightful. And the other thing I've noticed about this year's track season because of this, is that we will go to track meets and you'll only see two uniforms in a race. Uh, you'll see two schools in a race. And it's been one, it's been fun. It's, it's like the old dual meets when I was growing up. So it's been wonderful. Okay. I went on too long. Sorry. No, this, it's good. You had a lot of good stuff in there. I, I was going to say with the discus too, for some reason in indoor coaching in indoor in Wisconsin, which yeah, speaking of spring outdoor track seasons, they get ruined at least it's not ruined. I, I, and I actually had something to say with that as well, but Indoor, it seemed like triple jump was always the last event for whatever reason. And then people would just pack the runway. And it, in a hindsight, it reminds me of Tony Holler talks about the gauntlet 40s where people line the track for their running the 40 yard dash. And, but it was like that at the end meet for the triple jump. People would just come over, hang out, clap for each athlete, you're going down the runway. And it made it really exciting. And for like that moment in time, like that is the main stage for this thing that is so obscure to mainstream, you know, anything with sports. Like, what is the triple jump? Like, even in my early track days, I had no idea. And that was always such a, a special feeling at the end of the meets there. I was going to say, something you said, I, I just think that, and you had mentioned it applies to so many things in life, is the, with the what you compress expands is, yeah, being from Wisconsin and just having that, like, you'd have these weeks of just snow, cold. And then when it is finally warm out, it is so good. And I think it does fit with, like you said, you could, what happens when you, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, eliminate things from the weight room. What if you only had these two pieces of equipment? And I think it even fits in with like fasting and feasting. Like when you fast, it, the food is so good. And then at the end of the fast, you're like, I can't, in some ways, I always think, well, I can't imagine not having done that fast because then I would just always have what I've always had and I wouldn't. I wouldn't just feel how good it is, you know, to have a good meal again. It's you get that feeling too with track season. It's like, God, it's so cold out. Like this sucks. And then you know, I mean, you got to make the best of it. I mean, I'll do the ice tub in the actually doing the ice tub in the winter made the the cold a lot better. But when it finally gets warm, it's just like, oh, this is so good. And you almost couldn't imagine it being the same if it was always warm. You wouldn't. It just wouldn't be the same thing. And yeah, we, we've both been in California, so I know what, how glorious it is to for it to be nice pretty much all year. But there is something about that fast V cycle too, that like having lack and then having something and, and even injury too, even being hurt, you know, and, but by oh, the what time, a gift. The, yeah. yeah. Stu McGill called this book, the gift of injury. Yeah. I can remember I lost a quarterback one time for a week. It wasn't, it wasn't a terrible injury, but it, he couldn't, I mean, he needed to heal. So good. And I asked him, I said, here's your homework assignment. Of course, I always give homework assignments because that's, you know, I'm an old geezer. And I said, I want you to write a one-page essay about what you learned from this week of just watching. And uh, it was interesting because one of the first things he told me was, you're always getting on us to work hard, and we think we are. But now that I stand here, I realize that we don't. And he, he was such a better quarterback by not playing for a week and having mm -hmm. to stand there next to me in, in his school uniform, by the way, in a school uniform standing next to me. And he goes, I just, and we had this, and we then, then had a long conversation after he goes, you know, I was watching them and they were dogging, you know, they were dogging at practice. There was no hustle. There was no focus. You turn your back and they're, they're screwing around. And 
And it was great. So sometimes taking the things away is what makes you great. I have a friend used to explain to the parents why uniforms were so important, not just in the classroom, but on the field of play, is because we can't tell as coaches and athletes and teachers whether the kid's wealthy, poor, anything. The only thing that, if we're all in the same uniform, the only thing that shines out in the classroom is your intellect versus, you know, the hat you're wearing or the vampire or the goth Mm -hmm. or the whatever, you know. The only thing that shines in my classroom in that scenario is your intellect. And I got to tell you, man, it's just like being in a track meet. The only thing that shines when you leave the discus ring is your effort, not the uniform you're in. So there's this, it is a great life lesson hated by most people, by the way. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's always easier, especially as we keep pushing forward in the information age, you know, the, the, the term time is speeding up with all the information cross connecting and it's so much easier just to do more. And I almost, I was reading through the Omni book you just released, the Easy Strength Omni book, and I, I'm continually reminded as I, as I read through it, especially within the, the high neural effort type lifts, that this, the key is consistency and leaving, leaving something on the table, not straining towards your goal. And I think it's so easy now to just do more, to strain more, put more in, try more, but the wisdom is knowing when to do less and then also there's a different type of working hard in, in removing yourself. Especially I think of that in, in fasting as well. Like in fasting, removing yourself from food that you're working hard, but it's, it's a different kind of hard work, if that makes sense. And I think sometimes that logic can almost be applied over into training as well on some level. And I, I think sometimes when I like have an injury tweak or something like that and I have to go to ISO, like I just go to like body weight, body weight stuff, ISO holds for a week. I'm like, it's, and I always, every single time think it's so good I'm doing this right now. Like, I am so happy that my body has this break to go back to these rudimentary focus concentration basics here. And you could work hard at those. It's body weight, you know, in that sense it's, and appreciate that. So, I, I feel like I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but I try to also tie this all together in a way, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that we, one of the things we're going to talk about today is like things like snapacity and stuff like that, but uh, it's the... Uh, Snapacity, gentle listener, is the word snap forced together with the word with the words work capacity. Snap capacity. The ability to snap over and over and over and over again. But what I don't think many coaches realize is that every resource you're working with with a human body is finite. And it is much easier to do more than to do enough. Uh, doing more is one of the easiest things you can ever do. Enough is really a difficult thing in every field I know. I mean, I I, I work with this friend of mine has that he was a carpenter for a lo- long time. So he has the ability to take the hammer and one shot the nail into the wood. Instead of going tap, 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 he can go bam, bam, and the nail goes all the way through. And he goes, what's weird about it is, if you hit it too hard, it's actually worse. It's mm. It's got to be the right amount of effort for the nail to go right into the wood on one shot. He goes, it's, it's, it's the right amount of effort. And I can remember just sitting there going, you just explained track and field football and every sport mm. I've ever done in my life. You can kick the ball as a soccer football player as hard as you mm. feel like right in front of the open net. But you can also score by just tapping it in in front of an open net. The number of points is one, unless you hit it so hard, you miss the net entirely. So that, you know, there's, there's that obvious lesson and most people miss it, but you know, and let me just talk about that real quick, you know? So I see my job as a strength coach and I, I, my basic job is what I call the three P's. Okay. The three P's. And, and so we're not videoing this, right? So I'll have to, so gentle listener, you're gonna have to pretend you see my, so I have my upright middle finger there. That's the three, the three P's. And the first P is point. And I can, I take my middle finger, my index finger, and I point it straight up. And what I do is I push it from every different direction. And that's the first job of the muscles. And that's to, so that you can call that planking. If I'm standing up, you can call it being rigid. The word I use in the weight room is stay tall. As a thrower, I want to be tall on my throw. As a runner, I want to be tall. As a jumper, I want to be tall. So the first job of the the muscle system is to, as a, at least as in the athletic world, 
is to be tall, is to, to be able to withstand the forces, the side to side forces. When I teach planks, obviously I use the push up position plank a lot, but I also have one called the vertical plank. That's where you have a, a kind of a, a stretchy band coming down from the ceiling and you just, you're standing up and you grab it at arm's length and you pull down and you just resist. Another one is you have the stretchy band coming from a, a pole sideways, hands are in front of you and you just simply resist. Suitcase carries. That's when you walk with a heavy weight in just one hand to teach your body to resist bending under movement. So for me, the very first thing we teach, and I think what many people miss is this is what I still think is the off season, early preseason. Now I know we're not supposed to use terms like that anymore. You know, now we're using those BS made up Soviet terms that trust me, they never used either. It's okay to use it, but when I see this is a GPP GSP program. I'm always just rolling my eyes. It's like, you know, don't try so hard. Just say it's preseason. You know, pre- I used to love preseason, in season, off season. I still love that. You know, it's just like, it's just everyone, everyone goes, yeah, I get what you're saying. But if I say GSP, it's like, uh, what? <laughs> but throughout the year, you need to constantly come back and train that the point system, that the, the system of being rigid, staying tall, fighting the forces that are trying to twist you, move you, uh, turn you, tilt you. And then the second thing a, a, a muscle can do is, is basically poke. Okay. And that's what you do when you're typing. Okay. When you're typing, you tell your finger. It's funny. I've been typing so long. I can't tell you where the keys are on the keyboard, but my fingers know exactly mm-hmm. where they are. So I stopped, I stopped worrying about it. I was about to say, press, if I couldn't remember what I was about to say, press the, and I was using my right index finger. I was pressing the keyboard, press, poke, same thing. And I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what it was. It is the, oh, J, it's J. Okay. But, uh, you know, I know this is A because that was the hardest one to teach. So most training programs end up focusing on this middle one here. This would be the bench press, the row, the squat, the deadlift. That's when your body is is taking a load and it goes from here to here, here to here, here to here. And it's got great value. There's nothing wrong with push-pull hinge squat. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, in fact, that's how you build an engine. That's how you build an athlete that's going to knock down the opponent. But it's the third P is the one that makes for elite performance. So the three Ps, and now it's time for the Dan John crappy sense of humor time. So it's point, poke, or prod, whatever. How, let's go. Which one do you want to use? Which one? Poke. Uh, poke. We'll go with the first, the, the anchor. So poke's fine. Okay. So point, poke, and the third P is snap. Okay. And. Really, it's when you, if you, you can't, but usually I teach it in, in three different ways. The first one is I take the finger and I pull it back. And if you just let go, it goes. And of course, then you can also just snap your fingers, which is, by the way, snapping your fingers, your finger that makes that noise is moving far faster than you could ever consciously mm-hmm. make that noise. Trying to slap, trying to make a snapping sound by doing the poke method that's not it doesn't really make much noise so snap is is the what i'm trying to get my athletes to learn how to do i got away years ago a long time ago from teaching the fact that there's 600 muscles in the body now i teach there's one muscle with 600 kind of subdivisions okay and that all those muscles can do is the best thing they can do is shrink. So now I teach discus throwing, javelin throwing, and all the rest that you are a, you are a bag of rubber bands. Mm. And what we want to do for elite performance is get you into a place where at one moment we stretch all those rubber bands. And then the more important thing is we release it. Crappy throwers, crappy jumpers, crappy hurdlers try to add a little more when it's too late. 100%.
you'll see that um i know you're you're more into the like you're more into jumping and sprinting right i mean yeah and, and there's nothing with that yeah i've, I've uh, i threw javelin though coached as well though so I, I have that little link in there well okay well javelin <laughs> throwing Not, is an it, absolute uh rubber band event right yeah, it's it's some people. I know some throwing circles. They would shun the job. Ja- <laughs> well, I was going to, but then I was trying to be kind. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yeah. So for those who don't know, javelin throwers are kind of the oddballs of the uh, throw the throws uh, world. I we, get it. We we include them begrudgingly. Okay, <laughs> but it is probably the only throwing event you can be born to do. You know, there are people just born with cannons. But there's a good example. I mean, I go. I, I will watch a young thrower try to tricep extend a javelin. You'll see them, or you'll hear the phrase, yeah, I got to work this muscle because that'll help me throw the javelin far. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Boy, you are so clueless about what makes the javelin go far. You know, what makes the javelin go far is this ability to stay relaxed as you aggressively attack with your legs, you know, and then you turn your, your body into a bow and arrow here's the key to the bow and arrow folks when you pull back the knock when you pull back the arrow where the feathers are you don't push the arrow forward you let it go elite performance is letting it go it's letting the muscles snap and so for me a good strength training program and this needs to float through the air you never get you should never get away as an elite performer from coming back and th- there's always a time there's always room in a program even the week of the the biggest meet of your life or whatever you've got going on to make sure you remind yourself how to plank and stay tall because what happens sometimes at the end of the season i don't and you can see it in the throwing events is that the athletes try so hard they lean away from the implement shortening the radius well the way i work on that in the gym i don't do flies i had this thrower god bless her Her boyfriend was a personal trainer so he must have really known what he was talking about so we had her doing tricep extensions as a shot putter and i gotta tell you folks get a chance pick up a 16 pound shot put and see how far you can skull crush that thing don't do it because your your the ends of your elbow will come off so there is Late in the season, you need to remind yourself that the implements go around the axis. The implements go around the axis. And the, 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 the firmer the axis is, the farther the implement goes. So there is a need even late in the season to do, to keep coming back to those planks. And there is a need throughout an entire training year, a entire tr- t- tr- training decade to do the basics of push, pull, hinge, block, loaded carry too just to build the big engine to feel strong but superior performance comes from snapping but you have to have those first two built in to build upon it to the snap so it's the three p's of performance is what i call it point prod poke snap and if you find yourself in a situation where you know any any time of year the athlete all of a sudden seems to be just kind of flailing very often and like you said the gift of injury sometimes that's why an injury is so good is because we have to get we have to get off the track we have to get off the court we have to get off the field and we have to go against the wall and do these very slow almost meditative movements and very often yeah we cure we, we fix that injury but we also fix the system to remind ourselves how much more powerful we are when we do things at the right speed, at the right time, when things are right. In training, enough is enough. In performance, getting it right is the most important thing. I wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about my story with our sponsor, Lost Empire Herbs. Several years ago, I had strongman and mental training expert Logan Christopher on the show, and In the interview, I realized that Logan, in addition to deadlifting over 500 pounds and ripping phone books in half, also was the founder of an herbalism company. Long story short, I ended up ordering the Phoenix Formula, one of their flagship products. And in taking that, I noticed increased energy and a decreased reliance on coffee, which honestly, I was kind of expecting that. But what I didn't expect is after a few weeks, I noticed my weight room numbers had increased substantially. 
And the Phoenix formula also led me to getting Shiljit resin, which is found in the Phoenix formula and recommended by a lot of strength coaches, as well as other Lost Empire Herbs products. I've been using Lost Empire Herbs ever since, and I have sponsors of the show that I believe in, that I use, and that I want to share with you. So if you want to check them out, head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly for 15% off my favorite Lost Empire Herbs products. You get a 365-day money-back guarantee. I really enjoy having Lost Empire Herbs as a sponsor of this show, and I hope you get a chance to check out what they have to offer. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think with the the just enough to, I, even that, uh, the hammer analogy, I love that just because I think so often it's very easy on a very rudimentary level just to think, well, you know, just uh, like just if you're going to sprint, just push as hard as you can. If you're going to throw, just just move your arm as hard as you can. And, and the fact of the matter is when you actually do that, it just doesn't work. But I think the throws are the easiest way to find that out instantly because you get instant feedback. Like a sprint, if you don't have the timing system out, you know, you might not know. You, your coach might be like, oh, that looked good, you know, but throws. That like, looked good, yeah. Yeah, but the throws, you do it and, oh, that didn't go very far. What was wrong? Or went out of the sector, you know, like you get instant, oh, trying as hard as I can didn't work. And so now I have instant feedback. Okay, let's let's try something else here. Um, I, I love those three Ps too. I was thinking about it. I Jay Schrader is a, a coach who... I've I've had a lot of podcasts uh, with his ideas in mind, and it's you know funny. He's still like, around, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a little bit south of you, I think, in Arizona there. But he, yeah. um, I think his system was something like very similar, but in a di- little just maybe a different perspective. But it was like starting with ISOs. The ISOs were the base, so that's like your position or the point. Like, and a lot of that was with a long. Like, if I did an ISO lunge, it would be with a long spine, and then the strength, and then the ability to contract, relax. Like, it's almost like this triad that's like written <laughs> written in time of training and i think uh, oh sorry there's ahead. nothing new about it yeah i mean there's yeah yeah it, I, i'm always amazed when people think that things like isometrics are yeah have you tried this <laughs> yes from the cutting edge research of the 1930s yes uh dan you hear about vitamin d yes from the cutting edge research from the 1940s yes yes i have yeah yeah i th- this there's 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 really the the problem and and i Joel, is it's real hard to make money selling this? You know, I really push sleep. I really push fasting. I push drinking water. I push protein and veggies. Real hard to make money pushing that stuff. Real hard. You know, it's just not sexy. And it's interesting. That's why I like working with special operations guys. It's because generally when they come to me, they're at a place where they know that simple is best. Major League Baseball, and I love the phrase, uh, there's a sign in my gym given to me by uh, an all-star baseball player. Really, I mean, a very big, famous name. This is a no-eyewash zone, is the sign on my gym wall. In Major League Baseball, that means this is no bullshit. The eyewash is bullshit. And the thing is, eyewash sells. Eyewash sells. And uh, this stuff I tell you doesn't. I mean, it's just it doesn't sell. Yeah. Easy strength doesn't sell. And yet, if you go back and look at training programs from the 50s, 60s, you, and I in my workshop, I, I have Arnold's workouts that he recommends. It's easy strength. Franco's workouts, it's easy strength. Bosco, easy strength. Um, Miles Callum, the first book I ever really got, you know, the book that changed my life right there. Uh, right next to it's the Sears Manual, the Sears Barbell Workout. The first work I ever did in 1965. It's easy strength. It's all simple stuff. All that stuff works. The application of the field of play. Now that's different. And we've got to do, you know, some other mm-hmm. things. Basically, we got to get you into that, that isometric position. Basically, we got to then do, you know, some other things and then later teach the snap of it. And that's coaching right there. There. I just gave you, a, I just gave you a 10 year program right there, you know. Yeah, you know, I, get get strong and get strong and get first. Always get strong, tall. Get strong as you can. Push against you in all these different directions. Then move off. Challenge those positions. You know, push against you. Push against you. Then add load and then work on snap. And that's that's it. You know, and then you have to blend it. You have to blend it throughout a year in different different ways. But you just keep coming back to the same darn things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like um. I forget if it was like a, I think it was like a Joseph Campbell quote about like the, the country that's lost its myth, 
you know, or, or something like that, that being a, a poor thing, we've like lost yeah, no, at least you, the archetypical you, grounding of where we came yeah. from. And maybe, yeah, you, maybe you probably know more. I'm, I'm like, I think I know this goal. Uh, but. I, as you walk into my house, you, uh, the, the green man is important. I don't, I don't want to go through all the, the last five years. My, my life has not been great the last five years. We'll just stop there. But, uh, when you walk into my house, I have a, there's a, a wall statue. I think they're called sconces sometimes of the green man is because the green man has become very important to me in the last few years because I've had to reinvent myself so many times. I had basically, just, I was basically to a place where I was, there was no, you know, the business, you know, everything was basically my finances were zero. Okay. Basically it was worse than that because, you know, it was work, and I just rebuilt the business in two years. Boom, no problems at all. It pretended like it never happened before. A couple of years back, I had a total hip replacement. You know, you get to your place with a total hip replacement where you suddenly go from being, well, I was not doing my best, but you go from being this elite athlete. In the, in the past, I spent 51 years building up this engine. My best years as a discus thrower were in my late 40s. Mm. My, 47 was my best year by far. I got to 51 and then every, all the wheels came off. I've spent the last 14 years doing the green man, died and reborn mm. as, as a human person. And I feel better now than probably since my teenage years, which is kind of an interesting thing. So, yeah. So I agree with you when you talk about any, anytime you talk about, uh, mythos, uh, as we say in, in my other field mythos are those stories that are true but not necessarily true you know it's those you know it shouldn't surprise you that harry potter doesn't have parents because tarzan didn't mm-hmm. Batman, superman didn't jesus and nazareth there's a question there moses uh king arthur spider-man you know it's it is a mythos it is and carl jung said that the reason we have that is the orphan is someone that the entire community can adopt. Uh, so, so there's always truths in myths that are just a little bit different than what you expect. And by the way, I mentioned Jesus and Nazareth. He's also the green man. Uh, he died and was, was replanted and, you know, uh, rose again, you know, from our Easter people. Yeah. So I, I appreciate when you, when you bring up myths. And that's one of the reasons I think it's, I, I do talk. Weirdly, I talk to my athletes about stories like that too. It's funny you mentioned that. I, it's funny you mentioned it. I think it's a very when my athletes stumble at the end of the season, have a bad day. I, I quote Man of La Mancha, mm-hmm. Don Quixote, to them: "For each time you fall, you shall rise again, and woe to the wicked." And uh, I also quote Chambalaya, Chambalumba. You get knocked down, get back up again. There, yeah. There, there, there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A more uh, modern myth, but probably recycled yeah. throughout history. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then the Rocky, uh, in uh, one of the Rocky movies, when he's talking to his son, you know, life's going to knock you down and you got to get back up. I mean, these are just, these just are reoccurring themes. And the nice thing about being an athlete who takes it serious in a decades approach is you're going to get knocked down. And when you look back over your career, when I was at the Olympic Training Center, the guy was really interested in me. And I've, I've said this in a couple of my books about they asked us to do an assignment, right? You write down the top 10 bests of your athletic career and the top 10 worsts. And it's funny when you do the 10 uh, bests, everyone writes like this. Oh, you can't see me, Jeff, the listener, but I have a big smile on my face and I'm, and I'm, and I'm showing the world how great I am. When you write down your worst, everyone huddles over the piece of paper uh, yeah. and hides it. And he, and Jim walked over to me and he said, oh, I want you to look at this a little closer. And he took his finger and he goes, he, he pointed to my worst list and he goes, what happened after that worst? Oh, uh, that's the best. That's the best. Of my, and then go number two, worst. Oh, it was number two best in my life. All my worsts led to all my bests. Mm. So there is a, there is a, for me now. You, you, your your mileage may vary, but 
everything in my life that I thought was the worst thing ever, when I breathed out uh, and took some time, it turned out to be the best thing ever. Now, obviously, in the last few years, I've had a, a number of tragedies in my life. And, and one of the things that kept me going, and I hope you don't mind this segue, because I think this segue is really important. The lessons my life has told me is that when you find tragedy, you know, go through it, breathe out, because something even better is coming around the corner. And, um, you know, we all talked about how horrible it was a few weeks back with this, all the storms of the season. But since we've had to compress meats, uh, basically, we don't, I mean, we're barely training in the last few weeks because, uh, yeah, okay, train all you want, but you have a meet in two days. So I don't know how, <laughs> you know, if I was working with my sprinter cores, I, I don't work with sprinters anymore, but our workouts would be show up, loosen up, go home. Because, you know, every couple of days, the gun goes off and fully automatic timing happens. I know whether you're running fast or not, because all those officials with those times are going to flash up on this scoreboard and we'll know if you ran fast or not. I don't have to. How did that feel? We'll know how that felt. So it's kind of as as tough as it's been. The, the, the The golden lining of this season is that we have these compressed track meets where you don't even have time really to think about your technique because you're already at a track meet and you have to have your you have to have meat mind on oh meat mind m e e t versus m e a t uh, i ask my athletes sometimes or do you have meat mind or do you have meat mind and we all laugh <laughs> meat mind is when you try to get in the way of your muscles m e e t mind is when you let the system just happen you let the throw just happen. You let you let the nervous system and those six hundred muscles, and and you know you don't walk into the middle of a symphony and go, "Hey, more snare drum," <laughs> you know you know you don't riff in the middle of a Mozart, right? Uh, and now you know you know all the uh, and then now David is going back mm-hmm. the drums a little bit. You don't do that, you know, in the middle of you know Rhapsody in Blue. You know, all of a sudden, you know the the lead uh, violinist doesn't stand up and start jamming, you know, you let it go and you just, you stick with it. I, I think of symphonies as the way you throw a discus mm. lots and lots and lots and lots of individual pieces, lots and lots of time working on them. You blend them, you blend them, you blend them. And then we all stick together on the same page for a long time. To me, that's elite performance. Yeah. And it's meat mind, M E E T versus M E A T. Yeah. Yeah. I remember this was back in my 20s. I remember watching throwers warm up at indoor track meets and when they'll, they'll do like skips to warm up sometimes. And a lot of times the thrower skips are very different than the jumper skips because the throwers, at least I was watching, because they would yeah. really like drive their arm hard. Like they would, everything was like you could say volitional or, or conscious muscling effort to and i wish i would have known more about the throws back then i would have been like all right do these guys try to muscle their throws versus and so that's actually one of the first things i have any athlete do when they start in the gym is just hey just skip and i don't say anything i just say i just want to watch you skip and let's see how you solve that problem like maybe you're going to do what a coach told you at some point oh i'm supposed to drive my knee hard and lift my arm versus or maybe you're just relaxed and using energy and, and things like that no, you're right because it's it's funny. I I we have a drill where we throw as far as we can, and then we take off. You know, about eighty percent, and have them try to throw as easy as you can. It, so you threw one eighty, we bring it back to one sixty. Okay, ish. Okay, just ish numbers. Okay, fifty five meters to fifty. Okay, and it's weird to have the athlete trying to throw who's just through fifty five meters. Trying to throw, it's weird. It's it's so easy to throw that throw. Well, and it, what happens is it quickly creeps up to 51, 52, 53, 54, very often 56, 57. They actually throw farther, trying not to throw hard at all. And they get very frustrated with that drill. Another drill I do is I put up their old last year's record. And Remember how hard you threw that last year? Yeah, man, I really went for it. It was the it was the conference meet. I really needed this big throw. And now, what do you think of that throw? Oh, so bad. I'm so much better now. Okay, 
that's to me that but that's what we're trying i think we're saying the same thing once you start moving once you start becoming better more elite whatever you want to say all that extraneous effort and movement starts to get washed away Mm -hmm. very much uh there was a there's a great uh, japanese hammer thrower koji who's actually good friends with my brother gary which cracks me up my brother gary is a a vietnam vet he's deaf who throws the hammer and he's 73 and he and koji train together at moffat all the time and they're actually i've been told by others it's fun to watch uh my brother can't hear and koji doesn't speak english as well so it doesn't really matter and the two of them just throw together for a long time kind of like two dogs you know just kind of playing throwing and having fun koji really specializes in getting rid of all the excessive movements in mm-hmm. fact his whole training system is to wash it free of all the excess and the quieter a, a hammer thrower can keep his well i call it chin sternum and zipper they you know the quieter those movements get the more the ball has a chance to extend farther and farther away making the, the hammer go farther but if you try to hit it you get your chin ahead or you you know you break you break the flow of the rotation you feel like you threw it harder but it doesn't go nearly as far and that is a life lesson yeah that's a life lesson isn't it yeah i that's one thing i find it like you mentioned all the way back to mentioning like the javelin athlete who they they didn't do it they didn't set it up right and so they compensate by a little extra arm action at the end and a little extra push off the back foot that's not supposed to be doing that and a lot of where I've gone, at least let's just say in sprinting and jumping, is like with Koji. I remember the Koji videos. He's got like the bar, like with the the like almost like these bamboo bands on it. It shakes, and he's like just smoothly, Koji squats, yeah, 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 smoothly going through, no waste. You know, he's he's that is such to me the art, just the art form of that, um, just feeling the movement and reducing or eliminating the excess, like you said. And for me, I've actually gone like in sprinting. It's very easy to say, well, really get your knees up. But when you do that, if you force it, if you're not going fast enough to earn that and you force it, that's an easy way to throw excess in the system that you don't have to deal with. And I see that even in jumping and skipping and like bounding and people who actually don't have that uh, that impulse. And so they make up for by more extra arms and more extra knees. And again, they, may, they might get a little further than they were, but I'm always like, well, how can I start with less? Like um, the Samburu jump, uh, the tribe where they're just bouncing and they have their um they're uh, it's like a not a shawl it's like a a blanket around them so their arms are actually tied against their body and they can't even use their arms in this jump but they're pogoing up and down and i'm like well let's start there let's start without using your arms let's start with less and get really good at that and then we'll let you you know bring these in and and i've gone the same way with sprinting even starting with low knees like you don't get this now let's be really efficient with out the ability to anyways i'm kind of going off on a rabbit trail but i no, no you're not that's, all that's what you're doing is you're compressing yeah yes yes exactly exactly yes and by the way i uh i don't know if you have a copy of this but when people ask me if i was to pick my favorite book of all time it is the tracking uh, for this oh. our, the track uh the triple jump encyclopedia by bullard and Newth. you know uh agree or disagree with it i don't care there is a billion exercises in here of every idea ever ever even thought of in uh in in jumping bounding sprinting lifting it's all in there i think if they've sold 100 copies on the planet i think i i bought at one time 75 of them and i can't keep them because people always borrow them from me and i never come back but the, the triple jump i i've had a theory for a long time that if I was just going to work with the team, now this would be very unpopular. Is I would train. It does, do you notice I didn't say what team it was? No. I would train everybody in the beginning yeah. as triple jumpers. Yeah, because I think is that is the most foundational. There's something amazing about the triple jump. The if if there's anything, if you have an error, you you just got it exposed, and you didn't even know you had an error, but you do. Yeah. I love that. I just had a podcast with Ryan Banta, who coaches track in Missouri, is talking about uh, his freshman sprinters. He starts them all on like the 400 and hurdles. Like that's his base to build decathletes, if you will. A triple jump isn't in every state, but I think about triple jump putting that in there too. You know, it's like 
if you could triple jump, do hurdles, and you have some speed endurance on a foundation of speed, like you're in a pretty good place. And uh, and some of the best podcasts I, I've, I mean, I've, I love all the podcasts I've done, but some of the ones that stand out to me are people who either uh, A, do hammer or B, have done triple jump or both. John Garish, I think uh, he's uh, over in Florida, I believe has done both. And you watch the way he trains his athletes just in general. And it's all just elastic. The, the priority and the the wisdom and the nuance of elastic energy is there. I was like, I, I forget. I think I'd forgotten he did. did I don't. He either did triple oh. jump or he trades. I don't know. But I was like, this is well, snapacity. Yes, snapacity is el- elasticity. Yes, but it, it, but it, it with the idea of being able to do it over and over and over again. I want you to be able to punch your uh, your defensive lineman every single play, every single down, multiple times, and just wear you know just constantly wear them back. That's snapacity. Hit. Hit again, hit again, hit again. Oh, that's great. When I was in college, we had a funny conversation about this. The the track and field triathlon. The problem is the decathlon, now that the pole vault is, all the decathlon is now is really good pole vaulters doing nine other events too. I, I don't, our triathlon was the 400 intermediate, the hammer throw, and the pole vault. Wow. <laughs> Awesome. And the idea on that was you take, and then, you know, you work the points out and, you know, it was, it was, a, it was just a conversation on a bus ride, but I can remember that like it was yesterday because now it's interesting that I picked the pole vault versus the triple jump, but the pole vault at the time was still, you know, a reasonable event, you know, it wasn't just a, you know, yeah, yeah. I love that. I wish I wish I had access to a pole vault pit closer. I would love to get going and doing that again. Um, I, you know, but let's go with the snap ass a little bit more because we just have a little bit of t- chunk of time left, and I'd love to get more into that. And I, I love that you mentioned the work capacity piece too, uh, just because I think so often when we think plyos, and, and again, there is that part of plyos that should be just explosive, like doing some depth jumps and things. But then the longer I've gone along. I have found there's just something like like when I play basketball and when I played basketball, that is snap and capacity. You can't play basketball for like two minutes and be like, all right, I'm good. Let me rest and wait till I'm fully fully yeah. recovered. And now I can go sprint. You no, know, it's like you just have to you just have to go. And I always felt so explosive coming off of basketball. And when I stopped playing basketball or even volleyball or something, yeah. I always lost just something. And I've always I've spent a lot of my career trying to figure out exactly what that something is i don't think i actually need to know exactly like i know and i don't think i think it's complex well, enough but i think there's something to the capacity too there like you we, mentioned we, this conversation has been around a long time i'm not a big fan of doing you know like when i go to a high school program and watching and i watch them do plyometrics i always cringe and say you guys are too stupid to coach because i agree i mean you know i mean i didn't always agree with everything it's weird to, uh, I'm exactly 20 years younger than LJ Sylvester. We, our birthdays are the same. He's 37 and I'm 57. We both went to Utah state. I went to Utah state because of him. Uh, and I, you know, I, uh, LJ and I don't always agree on everything, but, uh, where he was doing a workshop one time and he said, I don't understand what, what you guys do in the off season. The off season should be this. You should make sure you keep your squad up. You probably should keep your bench press up. You know, you should do that. And then just play basketball like two or three times a week. That'll do all, that'll take care of everything else you need. And I remember thinking, well, that, that's, that's pretty good. You know, if you're a bunch of dis, a discus throwers, if you have a, if you have a, we, and of course I used flag football as my off season conditioner for my athletes. Uh, we also had this no goalie soccer, soccer league I invented, which was just hilarious. And just, you're right, just get, if instead of having throwers do some kind of plyometrics, have them kick them. Well, and we also, you know that thing called the Swiss ball? Oh, yeah. That's what we played soccer with. Really? Oh, that sounds Because it was hilarious. Because they wouldn't <laughs> run to save their lives, but to chase that damn thing around, they would lose their minds, man. So, yeah, I think I think we can get a lot of this done by by just having a good time. And you're right. You can put together the greatest plyometric program in the world. But, you know, when I watch elite basketball players, they jump pretty good to me. It seems like to me, you know, the one guy the other day jumped over LeBron. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't think he was out the night before doing depth jumps with Pat Masdorf, who, by the way, invented depth jumps in case anyone needs to know. 
it wasn't the European, no offense, the our our friends in the communist bloc stole death jumps from America. Fred Wilt called it plyometrics, the American. We just uh because those of us in America always think that it's you know where where the grass is greener in uh everything in sports science. It's always better somewhere else because it's not from here. The joke here in Utah, they did a huge article me in this local paper about about me and about how I have this free gym and you can come in. And the author's going, aren't you worried that your gym will be packed? I said, not a single person will respond to this article. He calls me up three weeks later. He goes, well, did you did people show up? Not a single person. Because my good friend Jesus of Nazareth told me that one time. He goes, you know, Danny, you can't be a prophet in your own town. I said, darn it, you're right, my friend. It's true. If I put Bulgarian, throw Bulgarian, blah, 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 blah. Bulgarian plyometric secrets. Bulgarian secrets. Okay. BS. Well, there's your next book. Okay. It's called BS. Okay. And you can put all the nonsense you want in it. But if you put Bulgarian or mm-hmm. so or whatever, it sells, even though it could be just total junk. You know, it would be total junk. But uh, so snapacity then is this idea that not only am I going to, my, Junior college coach was from West Germany, Germany, and he called stretch reflex shish ku, shish ku. Hmm. So you pull the rubber band, let it go. Shish ku. You pull the bow, you pull the arrow, you let it go. Shish ku, shish ku. And it's great to have the shish ku, but in most of the sports I have, you need to be able to do it over and mm-hmm. over and over again. So. You need to build that foundation of being able to hold the plank, stay tall, all that. You need to build that stability into an engine. And then you need to be able to make that thing snap, 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 snap over and over and over again. And then as you get closer and closer to the peak, to the nationals, to whatever you got to do, that's when you just got to, you got to let it happen, which is the hardest part of working with, uh, with athletes. Yeah, what do you um I know you've talked a lot about how maybe it was one of those moments I I don't know if you were injured or not but getting into like the and I guess this isn't to me this isn't this isn't elastic but even just care like loaded carries sleds those things there oh, is no. the gate cycle loaded right? carries yeah see if I was so it's funny you, you nailed it Joel I was about to say that <laughs> the reason I like loaded carries so much is that they build work capacity but think about where it builds it if I'm doing a suitcase carry so do up pounds or kilos which, which, which let's go kilos let's where to <laughs> that okay let's go let's go you got 28 kilos in a kettlebell and i put it in your left hand and i tell you to go for a walk and you go walk and then at the end of the 100 meters you turn around and you walk back well as you get fatigued on this loaded carry so you have to fight that load that's only on one side you want your turn up uh, your chin your sternum and your zipper csz line to be straight you don't want to lean into it you want to lean back you want to lean to the side you want to stay tall so as that load on one side and the length of the walk start to combine you're fighting to hold that together to me that's how you build work capacity is with loaded carries uh you can probably do it i mean in some ways i know you know, like high rep back squats has great value. And I also think, honestly, uh, hill sprints has great, mm-hmm. have great value. And they're all circling around the same idea is that we're trying to build this capacity up by doing things that are relatively safe. Odd to say that high rep squats are relatively safe, but they are because the load tends to be lighter. Hill sprints are very safe. I've never had an injury going up the hill. And mm-hmm. I've never had anyone I have. It's very hard. And by the way, you don't have to teach technique running up the hill. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, it's hard to mess up, to truly mess up hill sprints. <laughs> yeah. If somebody's going to exaggerate where they put their arms and their hands, they'll do it a couple, but they'll they're not going to do that for eight rounds. You know, they're going to simplify, simplify, and cut things down. Suitcase carries, heavy weighted bag carries, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50 to 60 kilos, 110 to 135 pounds. You know, you're, you're going to be asking your, I call it your anaconda muscles, those, 
those muscles that make you squeeze together Hmm. they're going to make you squeeze together as you carry those loads and that's going to so if i can get my thrower my discus thrower to do bear hug carries where they're squeezing and once they get tired they're they're just holding on to weights to save their life and all that and so you talk like this because you know everything's squeezing down and you're doing all that second spine stuff some people call the ab wall the second spine you're doing all that and when you but the idea is when you throw the discus then later hopefully hopefully this integrates over is that you're so strong in those anaconda muscles that you allow the radius to stay long Mm. when you throw versus you know flailing away falling away or whatever you do yeah yeah that speaking of that archetype it's interesting i had um a uh, podcast with, uh, I think his, his origin is obviously French, but Julian Pinot, who he talks about it as internal and external torque. And it's just, it's funny because as you just mentioned the anaconda, because I've heard your uh, analogy of do you hang on the branch, right? Or I forget what the other one is. You know, either your analogy, either you're, you're clinging to the branch or I guess the functional opposite you could say maybe is like jumping or something like that or where you're extending. And Julian had talked about, basically he talks about it as internal torque. Uh, yeah. What is the opposite of that? You're walking through the savanna and a and a and a, a lion, you know, a, a tiger, a leopard, whatever it is, pops in front of you. You can either run, okay, leave, yeah, yeah, or climb up the tree and hold on for dear life. And those are the big qualities that make you survive. These are the survival qualities. If you think you can out sprint a cheetah, good luck <laughs> on that. If you can think out fight a lion, good luck on that. <laughs> um, but if you can get up that tree as fast as you can and hold on yeah. for dear life, whoever holds on the longest lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that yeah that that was um that's so cool you mentioned that because it's like it's that's part of the fun of doing this podcast is you hear some of the stories from different perspectives and Julian had talked about he's calls it internal torque and external torque and internal torque is muscles from the outside squeezing inwards and like uh, and one of his big things is sandbags and so like when you you yeah. squeeze a sandbag and so I spent a lot of this winter and talking about even compression like I wouldn't let myself really sprint it all this winter I wanted to save that for the sunshine which has been amazing like compressing it's like withholding that because I otherwise I just sprint all year and then it just kind of you never really yeah. compress it it's just yeah and so but it's just crazy the the difference in the development uh being like a high jumper and javelin thrower that's so based on loading the bow behind yourself like getting you know getting your arms and the swing leg way back behind you to load up same thing with a javelin holding that thing way back and so the the ratio of of bringing things back to actually squeezing in front from you is so low. So doing like a ton of like sandbag clean sandbag carries, holding the sandbag and, and running up a hill with it. My muscular development on the front, like it's crazy how much more balanced my body looks just to, for the long and the short of it. So I just been I'd been ignoring that for the longest time. But even in doing that with the like the work capacity element, because I would do it. I've talked about this on this podcast. Like I didn't I wasn't like all right I'm going to do five sets of 15 meter sprints and I'm going to rest three. And I was like, I'll just keep going. You know, I'm just going to treat this like capacity. I'm not going to put a time. I'm not going to strictly do the sets and reps. I kind of treat it like the dice roll that you've talked about. And the result was phenomenal. And almost like thinking, yeah, like, yeah that almost lives or does. It lives outside of um, the, the, the poke or the prod, like where it's just like nervous system. Um, and you know, it's interesting. I've actually kind of thought in some ways for relative strength stuff, like, like sprinting and jumping, you almost could switch the the P's. It's almost like if it's just body weight, it's like you have the first, the initial, my isometric, my basic body weight. And then because if you if you put the poke before the snap ability in a in a sprinter or a jumper, like you end up you can end up imbalancing the system. I mean, I think you should do it all, you know, but to me, so this is where this is where this is where the unilone <clears throat> approach comes. So I think you always need to do all three. Yeah. However, and this is the one of the things that I'm not so Southern California, Texas, and Florida, you know, they also are great sprint states. And, and there's there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the things you'll notice about the, the throwing cores down there, very often they have very good Decembers and Januaries because they throw, 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 throw. Like I remember my senior year at Utah State, the Utah State University, <laughs> we had s- storms so heavy the week before conference. I mean, I couldn't even get down to the track one day, okay? I couldn't even get to practice. It was that bad. Was that that the week of our conference meet? Well, I go down to San Jose and every single thrower I competed against basically threw either, you know, about where they normally threw or a little less. And I popped a 10 foot uh, personal record, you know, three meter personal record. And I'm, and everyone's like, well, how'd you do it? I was like, well, I mean, 
that thing, that yellow thing in the sky, I, I, I was scared of it. And by the <laughs> way, it was hilarious because Utah State's track team was absolutely lily white on day one and absolutely bright red on day two. We None of us had any. We were all sunburned. But the idea is that we got compressed, boom, and we expanded mm. at the conference meet. Our, we had a six-man team, and I think we took fourth at conference. You know, we all, you know, we just we just didn't have the numbers back then. So, but I, I think you're exactly right. One of the jobs of a good coach then is so you you watch TV and you look at these hundred meter guys, and they're all got ripped abs and big thighs and broad shoulders. So you decide to bodybuild all year long to make them look like that. They're not gonna be very fast. Mm-hmm. But if you teach them to be tight and you teach them to you know you spend the the winter months you know training like triple jumpers and doing all these other things and oh some injuries show up so we get them in the weight room to build that injury up triple jump weight lift triple jump weight lift you know bound weight lift, and all of a sudden we go outdoors now we got ourselves a, a true sprinter so you're right uh i know a lot of people ripped on barry ross but i i liked his insights as a sprint coach and i know uh, do we like or hate Barry Ross this week in your field, in, in your area? You know, funny enough, I think no one's really talked about it. I think it, it's funny because I remember when it was a big debate, but I think the last decade, I don't, I think there people on Twitter have found 10,000 other things to debate and rip at in that time. I think it's been a little forgotten. So I was even trying to remember, I just remember it was like sumo deadlifts and sprint or just sumo deadlifts and plyos. So it was my big yeah. remembrance of yeah. him. And then you mentioned the book too about walking, you know, the walking for conditioning as well. I remember reading that. Oh, that was wonderful. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think, see, for me, I look at Barry Ross and I look at the way we've been talking. Barry Ross pretty much nailed it. Of course, he was Southern California. He had some different things go, you know, he had some different advantages with the weather and some and facilities. So uh, if you were to do a minimalist approach with what we're talking about, you're looking at Barry Ross. You look at Charlie Francis. What was his big thing? If you hit any kind of personal record, you were done for the day. Mm-hmm. Anything. Lap pull down personal record. Bye bye. See you tomorrow. Yeah. You know, you, you, yeah. That'd be compressing, and, compressing, right? You're just every time you do that, you're compressing by, by and, you're, and, and you, and you, and then you come up with some rules that help you long term as a coach. Okay. Here's, here's the secret. Here's the, here's the, here's the secret to being great. Well, you know, in, in the throws, it's almost always a decade, you, you know, eight years, a decade. You, you know, here, here's what you need to do. I, I can tell you on day one what you need to do as a discus thrower. It's stretch, one, two, three, and then in three, the throwing position. It's A, B, C. And and I don't don't worry about it, gentle, gentle listener. Just my point is, I can teach you everything you need to know about the to be an elite discus thrower on day one. It's going to take you a decade of of <laughs> of us pointing, prodding, snapping. To, to figure what I said on day one. And it's funny because on day mm, 6,912, I'm going to probably say something here and go, oh, you told me that the first time I met you. Right. It was true then. It's true now. Yeah. That's why another reason I love track and field so much. It, it It's pretty simple sport, by the way. And that's why track and field is dying is it's a pretty simple yeah. sport. You, you can't hack your way to superior mm-hmm. performance. Simple you, trackable it, outputs. Yeah, you can't you can't buy your way into outstanding into an outstanding throw or jump. Yeah, that mom can't send you to a camp or hire mm-hmm. a, you know, you know. <laughs> that that always tells the tale. One of the things I was I know we're, we're running out of time here, that one of the things I always look at uh with coaching, like you watch a coaching if I'm watching a coaching talk, and I, I, I maybe this is me being overly judgmental, but if it's track, like that's the beautiful thing. You hop on Tfers or athletic.net is year to year to year. How did your athletes do? You know, and obviously there's variances and different things that happen and pop up. But like, I think compared to any other facet of the industry, this is the most transparent and easy to read and see thing where all results are laid bare. And it is at the end of the day, the most simple thing, you know, it simple, but not yeah. easy, <laughs> simple, but not easy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I was with uh, uh, the, the BYU coach. So my coach, Ralph Mon and his dad, Clarence Robinson, both retired the same year in 1988. And I can remember. I would listen to both of those. This is 1988. This is a while. That's 35 years ago. And I would, when at track meets, when I was a young coach, and even as when I was still, th- I mean, I was, well, I threw until 2010, so I have to be, you know, but I would listen to these two guys talk 
And their vision of track and field was just so, I mean, so basic. I mean, you know, you could, you probably could teach the fundamentals of track and field to kindergartner, well, first graders for sure. Yeah. And uh, the, the, and the problem is, like you just said, and then we can see how good you are. It's like, you know, does, where that progression goes, you know, where it got, where, and that's why uh, track and field's dying is because if you tell me that your son runs a 17 second, hundred meters, I know that your son is not fast. He might be a fine young man, but he's not a sprinter. And you can't buy your way. You might be able to get him to 16 seconds, spending a lot of money. And if you, you know, give him all kinds of inappropriate things that are banned by the sport, you might get him to 15 seconds, but he still sucks. <laughs> sucks. He's not good at all. He's not good. And that is the hardest part of track and field. Yeah. And uh, the, the fun thing is, like you said, if you can get that high jumper to figure out, like you said, that preloading, you know, that, you know, when they turn themselves into that, oh, yeah. weird, that weird shape that if you stop it and look at it, it looks just like a bow and arrow. You know, if you look at it, you know, and there's that moment in the shot put in the height, we all look like pole vaulters. You know, there's that mm -hmm. moment where we all, there's the pole and we're driving into it, you know, it's bow and arrow. And if we can get, if I can get you to do that almost universally, I get you better in track and field, you know, ah, it's good stuff. Yeah. It's the, yeah. This and last... we didn't get to what we wanted to cover today. So, uh, you're going to call me and we're going to make another one. Okay. So we can. Yeah. talk about easy strength next time oh yeah lots lots and lots of questions for that, for that one yeah sadly we're out of time but you know some of the best shows are where we only get through one or two questions so i had a great time chatting with you today dan it was awesome and yeah we'll cover the rest next time and and i'll have yeah. to I'll, I'll give you more time to go through the omni book the easy strength omni book as well but thank hey, you for your time I, I appreciate it i gotta i gotta go coach so we'll talk soon okay all right sounds good bye <laughs> That finishes another episode. Thanks for being here. If you want to check out the Easy Strength Omni book that Dan just finished, you can head to danjohnuniversity.com. Uh, I've read the book. It's awesome. I'd absolutely recommend it. And I hope you get a chance to check it out. We'll see you all next week.